Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast. This week, talking our favorite subject, sports nutrition, dietary supplements, all that good stuff. Not steroids. We've already covered that, and it was a great episode <laughs> that got a lot of engagement. It's Josh Shaw, Ryan Buckeye. Stoked to be back for this episode, as we finally are going to sort of bring it back into our, our realm. Now, all the topics we've talked about on this podcast, we're super interested in. But this topic today is how we make a living, essentially. This is where we make our money. This is how we turn these lights on. And we're looking at the year 2020, which, Josh, it's literally like the year 2020 is closer than the start of the year 2019 was at this point. Like We are right around yeah. the corner to 2020, which is just weird to say because um, we've been in the teens for a while. But we want to talk today about the hot trends within sports nutrition that are going to become a major force in 2020. And cool thing is, Josh, you kind of covered an article on this once upon a time, and maybe you were looking at 2019 in which you actually reached out to a lot of us in this space and asked us what our opinions were and what we thought was going to be uh, the next big thing, I believe in 2019 maybe. And I, I think our conversation today is actually going to not be exactly the same as that article. I think there's going to be some new things that we're going to talk about today that have literally come to fruition within this space. And just like even the last six to eight weeks, um, you know, Q2 specifically, as we move into Q3 in the Olympia, we're going to start seeing a lot more of these things that are going to impact this industry in the 2020. So do you think that the 2020 trends are going to be very similar to what you covered in 2019? You know, I think there's going to be some carryover um, to that article that you kind of referenced that I asked you to contribute to. I asked, I think it was close to 20 or 25 yeah. um, industry leaders. So they were either like, you know, CMOs, CEOs, this is retailers, um, distributors, uh, brands. I kind of took all angles of it and just tried to see if I can get as much of a variance as possible with um, some of the answers. Um, and then I also did my own video, which I actually uh, recorded before I asked anybody oh, okay, what yeah. their opinions are because I wanted to make sure that my uh, I wasn't influenced by what other people were saying because I wanted to make sure my my kind of ideas were there. So I think there's going to be, at least on my list, I tend to look at things a little bit longer period. And my list was much different than a lot of people um, were, were were talking about in that article. So a lot of those are going to be carrying over. But I think that the great thing about sports nutrition specifically, like outside of tech, there's not a lot of industries that have like a quick amount of like changeover and a yeah. lot of like innovation. And I know that word gets thrown around in the wrong spectrum. I always get uh, that's one of my like pet peeves or hot buttons is that for some reason innovation only means like product. Mm -hmm. But like there's a ton of innovation in all sides of business, yep. not you know, it, it, you just don't see it in maybe the way that you think of innovation. Yeah. But what I'll say is that to your point, like. Before the Olympia, we have, what do we got, like almost a month and a half, like eight, eight weeks or so for the yeah. Olympia. And a By lot of things are going to change. Yeah. A lot of sh things are going to change from um, from today till that point because the Olympia is one of those points where people will launch a lot of things that are going to be really big for 2020. So we're kind of putting this out a little bit ahead of it because we do want to see if maybe some of these things start to happen at the Olympia, both of us are going to be there and, and we'll be able to see if some of these things start to be like common threads with the industry. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things that people listening to this right now are probably thinking, well, here's what I think. And, and they may not be wrong. There are some things that I think that we've experienced in the last three to four months that are pretty significant that are obviously going to impact this industry more so probably in 2020 and 2019. And one of them, I, I'll kick it off right away here, is uh, the this whole like inclusion or infusion of CBD 
into products. So CBD, obviously, I mean, they just had, they're having a CBD convention in Miami coming up here. It'll probably, by the time this publishes, it'll be passed. But the amount of dollars and cents that are going to be spent within this space in general is massive. You see now uh, VPX or Bang has stoked, which is a CBD infused energy drink or a CBD drink. Like this is just the start. You're not going to see everything in 2019 that you think you're going to see. 2020, the door's going to be blown off. Like when it's completely acceptable, and people understand that CBD or the benefits of CBD. Now, I'm not a proponent of it or against it at this point, but I just think that it's such a loud three-letter acronym at this point that everybody is jumping on the train. Everybody wants to make money and make money quick, and I think CBD is going to definitely be that place to do it, and it does not have to be in the form of an oil or a gummy. There are many things yeah. in terms of functional food or dietary supplements. You know, it could, you could, you're going to see CBD in pre-workouts, Josh. Yeah. You're going to see it in pre-workouts. You're going to see it in sleep aids. It's going to happen. I think it's not happening as quickly as I thought it was going to. And I think 2020 is going to be that year in which it just explodes within our space. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing that's holding it back right now is that the FDA has yeah. not, or in kind of the FDA and FTC haven't really kind of come together and said, this is exactly how it needs to be marketed from claims and whatever. So it's, it's legal to grow. It's not necessarily legal to sell in the ways that they're currently being sold. So anything that's really out there is technically in, in kind of this area of maybe not really all that much right. legality. Um, and I think that they're saying in October or maybe even late September, they're going to have some more commentary on how they would like to, to see that. So right. That's going to really build momentum into 2020. When people know the rules, mm -hmm. then that opens up everything. When they know what's what's fully legal about it, and that's what we kind of talked about, and you've kind of mentioned about, like big CPG is not like like sitting in back and not saying we don't want to be a part of this. Right. It's because they can't right now. And when they can, like when they can fully do this, because they can't, unfortunately, they can't take the risk of some of these little small brands and, and mm -hmm. things like that. It's just not worth it to them. It, like you're not going to, they could take the whole market and it still wouldn't be worth it to somebody like Coke or right. Pepsi or, or something like that. But what is going to, and you mentioned this, what's going to happen with CBD is like, it's going to be a commodity and it's going to be a commodity very quick. So what right now what you see people are building brands off of CBD as like this ingredient that is like super exclusive. Mm -hmm. It's not exclusive. It's a commodity. It's one of those things where it's going to be added into everything like caffeine is or right. uh, different vitamins like you're going to see it in a lot of different ways depending on how the claims come out with some of the studies and things that are starting to be you know in the process right now. But it's one of these things where. It's going to be everywhere. And, and if brands listening to this think, well, I'm going to come out with a CBD tincture, one of those little oil things, and mm -hmm. I'm going to charge $200 and that's what's going to be, it's not going to happen. No. Like, it's just like, just get what you can right now and hopefully you can limit your risk, but it's not going to be around all that much. CBD as a whole, as a commodity, is going to be massive in 2020 unless something from the regulatory side right. changes. You know, that's, that's kind of the only thing that could derail this and that was on my list as well so i think it's it's um one of those things that that's the only way that's going to derail yeah. cbd 100 i mean the farm bill passed and it got retracted right like i mean it was something where it was also it was okay then it's not okay so i think until we get clarification on that i think ultimately we're going to get the green light on this and the go-ahead um i mean it's, it's going to happen and there are people there i mean even you mentioned coke coke literally has a product in their pipeline with cbd right now that they're just waiting to release they're waiting for the okay to release it when i was at mills we looked at cbd infused um granola bars and different things like that like it was something that we as a conservative as fuck company started to think about and look about because we wanted to be ahead of the curve. I mean, you look at even Nature's Path, who's a competitor of ours when I was at General Mills, they make organic cereals. They use hemp, which is not CBD, but they put a marijuana leaf on the front of their cereal box. 
I mean, this is like yeah. how, how it's become more acceptable within the world. More people are hearing about benefits for CBD for, from anything from themselves to their dogs. So it's going to happen. I think 2020 is the year it's going to happen unless, like to Josh's point, regulatory things come up that say, you know what, pump the brakes here. We're still trying to figure this shit out. It could, it could delay it, but I know there are certain people within our industry right now who are within, they're getting into CBD. They're big names in their industry. They're, they're starting their own CBD business behind the scenes. That's going to come out. Um, and it's just going to be, it's going to, to your point, it'll be commodity. It'll be creatine. It'll be caffeine. People are just going to use it for whatever benefits that we're able to, to sell on package. But I also don't think that all 2020, uh, you know, the trends in 2020 are not going to be formulation focused at all. They're not even really ingredient focused besides potentially CBD. I think it's going to come more in other realms like, um, you know, it could be, and I'll let you take it over, but like I have some in my, my head too that I think are going to come that I'll, I'll speak about, but I want to hear one from you before I jump into the next one that I have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be off of like this idea of platforms or, or like propositions. And I mm -hmm. think a big one around that is like the fragmentation that's happening around like specialized diets. Yep. Um, so, you know, keto or paleo or um, carnivore or whatever it is, like because people are now the vegan veganism and, and kind of flexitarian and, and that whole lifestyle. So like now it's a matter of brands understand they can't be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. they, they, they shouldn't, if they're coming out, they shouldn't be doing that. Right. First of all. And if they are, um, they need to be one of the biggest, baddest dogs out there to be able to do that. But right now it's a matter of like carving out your targeted fragmented space and really trying to win that smaller pond, try mm -hmm. to be the bigger fish in that small pond. So if you are coming out with plant-based products or whatever it is, like really try to win that area. Don't speak to everybody, just speak to that area. And I think you're going to see, you're already starting to see that now. I think it also, that is happening because b both there's like Facebook and targeted ads that you can actually reach the the, the right mm -hmm. people. Uh, you don't have to spend a bunch of money reaching a bunch of people that aren't your people. Right. Um, same with, you know, something like an Amazon where your most of your searches are coming from non-branded search terms. So somebody's looking up plant-based protein. Somebody's looking up um, vegan aminos. Like so, if you can win those searches, then you get those customers. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a much different way of approaching this all in terms of of where I think things are going to go with just brands. They need to really be focusing on a platform or a proposition mm. over trying to just be a general brand. Yeah. And you know, I've talked about this before too. Like you, if you try to appeal to everybody, you appeal to nobody. Right. So, but I also think, you know, not just new brands coming on, but even existing brands today who maybe are trying to speak to everybody, they don't have to necessarily create a brand new brand. They can create a sub brand within that space. And that, like you mentioned, plant-based, plant-based products. When you do that, you have to do more than one skew, one product, in my opinion. Like just to have one plant-based protein in your portfolio of items does not make you a plant-based company. So, but if you come out with, you know, a supplement company ABCs by Nutribio or whatever it might be, whatever big brand, that could be like your plant-based section. So, like a company like I'll use Nutribio because I've talked about Mark several times. They have like their natural line. It's an entire line of supplements. So you have a little bit more weight in that area. I think now. Even like, um, you know, some companies are just coming out with maybe it's a, it's a, it's a plant-based protein, but then everything else is kind of like hardcore supplements. It's kind of a, there's a disconnect there. So you need, you need to, if you're going to do that, you have to have a line. You have to have a plant-based protein powder, a plant-based protein bar, maybe vegan aminos. You can do it that way too. But to your point, these upstart companies, I get people reach out to me all the time. Like, Hey, here's my new formula for a pre-workout. It's the same fucking thing that everybody else is doing. So how are you going to win consumers away from the big boys who are dominating the space, unless you have something um, completely different in your formulation. But I think 
one on that point too that which is kind of unique it's I like to talk about Chris Waldrum every now and then at Inspired Nutraceuticals. He, uh, he's come out with some new products here recently that are more functional basis in our space. And you're, you're big on functional foods and talking about functional sp- foods. So it's not just like, hey, here's a pre-workout. Here's a protein powder. Now he's doing a protein powder infused with collagen peptides, which speaks to a different crowd. Now he's going after kind of like a smaller crowd that's willing to spend more money, a greens powder that has pre and probiotics in it. So that is pretty unique too, to that point where it's not maybe going after a diet trend in your, in your, or in our definition of diet trends, but it's putting a different twist on what we traditionally saw as sort of a commodity product of protein powder or greens. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of taking the same, um, thought of like flexitarian, mm-hmm. like this whole flexitarian movement where people want to add more plant-based because they've heard, you know, some type of animal protein or animal products are bad for them. So they want to kind of limit those things in the same sense. And I think, a um, a good one was, um, Oh, I can't remember, but basically like adding or actually ghost, like they have, I think they use uh, artificial sweeteners within their vegan, mm-hmm. um, proteins, uh, which is in the terms of like natural and organic and, and that whole, like uh, whole food space. That's a no, no, you don't, you don't do that at all. But in our world, in sports nutrition world, I think this blending but not going the full way actually can appeal to a lot of the people within the industry that are looking to make a little bit of a difference in their kind of wellness or right. they've maybe trying to – but not swaying so much from the core of what they're looking for because I think a lot of times what I, what I think I was putting the point out is a lot of times like going away from the core and going towards very – um, targeted, fragmented subsections of it, but not being anywhere close to the core where this is stay close to the core, have some degrees of variation yeah. from that, that also can bring people, uh, back to the normal, like, cause I know he has like some pre-workouts and things that also are, you know, would be considered advanced, but also just within the realms of the core yeah. sports or 100%. performance products. hundred percent. Yeah. So I think there, there's a couple of ways you can tackle that, but I, I totally agree. Um, the diets are just, I mean, they're crazy, you know, like keto and I mean, there are brands making ton of money just on keto specific or plant-based specific, and it's not dying anytime soon. So, um, for me, I think another trend in 2020 is just the, 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 basically like the user experience or, or the brand experience that consumers are getting from brands. And I think I'll give credit to ghost all day, every day for what they've done in terms of creating a lifestyle brand we talk about. Right. And I know that you've, you've, you've talked about this at length on, on your YouTube channel. Uh, but now all the other supplement companies are basically playing catch up to what Ghost did. They all now want to do a lifestyle company through branding, through packaging. So I think in 2020, we're going to see some kind of unique and innovative packaging designs and concepts that we have not seen it before. Um, I've actually seen a few of these things and they're really cool that we've seen in other spaces. Like it happened in, in other worlds and it's been around forever. It's like old technology, but now they're bringing it within our space, which is going to make it really cool. But you know, the brand experience and that story that you can tell as a brand to make a consumer committed to you lifelong, it doesn't really exist today. We, you know, we've talked about, I've talked about that length before is, People go on YouTube and they do unboxing videos of the next iPad because that's the, that's the type of environment that Apple has created with their brand. Like you get that box from Apple. It's got the Apple on it. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, I have this, this, uh, my MacBook and iMac and I think it's great. I've never done an unboxing video, but people love to unbox their iPhone and anything Apple. Brands need to think that way in terms of brand. How can you create that type of experience for a consumer where when they get that package at their doorstep, it's a special day and they want to share it with the world via YouTube or social media. And I know after speaking with a lot of brands, like internally, 
that's how they're trying to think about it. And that's what they want to do. They want to create more of that connection with the consumer through a brand experience and through sort of a personalization of their brand by opening up a YouTube channel, doing a behind the brand type of series that Ghost started and Ghost did. So I really think if you're a brand in 2020 and you're not thinking that way in terms of how to create a brand experience and how to give people more access to you as a brand in a digital world that we live into, you're behind the curve and you're failing. You need to be able to give your consumers and potential consumers access to you as a brand and easy access at that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to, um, I think your points are, are extremely valid. I think that what I'll, what I'll say from, from my angle is a lot of times brands will, will come to me and say, and they'll point to somebody like Ghost and they'll say, well, I want to, I want to create that. Right. Well, you can't create that because it's not authentic to you. Yes. You need to like there's lessons, there's best practices in which they use that you can equate and, and put in play into your own brands. But for you to go out and try to copy what they're doing or try to create these like lifestyle brands, which lifestyle, there's a it's a double edged sword because mm -hmm. when you create sure. a lifestyle brand, it opens you up to you're competing against like aspirational lifestyles and like you don't even like compete against people in your own category, mm -hmm. um, other types of similar um, kind of aspirational lifestyle brands. But a lot of, I think an important thing, like a lot of people forget, and Mike McCandless um, that started Salvation and, and yeah. now owns a couple other brands, like he always speaks uh, pretty strongly about this point about just the idea that most brands, like we, we use brand a lot, but in our space, it's a lot of products. Mm -hmm. And by far, a lot of these brands that maybe have 10 or 15 products within their portfolio, only two sell. Mm -hmm. So they're really only product companies. Like, and if they only focused on those specific products, like you think about these uh, billion dollar CPG uh, brands, a lot of them are built on like one specific product. You think like Oreo, yeah. just one product that has a bunch of variants. Yep. Like, but for some reason in our industry, everybody wants to create these like baskets of everything and they want to like spread out their cash. They want to do all this kind of crazy stuff instead of really focusing on what the consumer has said. This is your A skew. This right. is your A products. Uh, let's build something around that A uh, product. So what I'll say is like I totally think the access granted, like speaking more to your customer, like all those types of uh, customer experience pieces like for a 2020 brand needs to happen. But what I'll say is like, don't go out and just try to copy sure. specifically like a ghost because you're just going to, you're going to fail and you're going to feel bad. Yeah. I mean, create your own, be authentic about it. Obviously. Um, you make a good point too on like, we, you, you mentioned like they have 10 SKUs, but only two sell like the tail. And that's what we like. And you always talk about the tail and, and consumer packaged goods. Like what can you do to replace the tail? And then some people will think, well, we need to come up with a new product to replace one of these slow moving Skews, one of the slow moving skews in the skew uh, in the tail. That's not always the case either. Like you literally could just get rid of them. Those customers are going to transfer into the higher skews or pull an Oreo and do like limited edition drops of the, the pre workout, whatever it might be. Um, which I don't know if that is even on your on your thing for twenty twenty. But um, yeah, I love hearing your what you think is trends because you spend so much time looking on the business side of things within this space. Um, so we've talked about so far. Uh, what, what, what we talked about brand experience. We talked about CBD. Um, you talked about what was your point again that you, you just like talked fragmentation. Yep, fragmentation. Brands, like, like what else yeah. do you have, Josh? You know, I think one of, you're you're kind of moved into like this idea of like exclusives, and I think that the, this idea of and I think Amazon has kind of really been the kind of upfront about this and like creating these like private labels, these exclusive products that are only on their platform, but. As more pressure, Amazon puts more pressure on the retail world in general, you're seeing a lot of the other 
um, retailers move back into this old strategy of like asking for exclusives, asking for exclusive brands, asking for exclusive lines, mm -hmm. exclusive flavors, whatever it is to try to like somehow hold people within their um, hands, within their arms. Like they're trying their best. And that was like a strategy that was used maybe five to seven years ago. Like, it, like that was one of the ways that you got on shelf with a vitamin shop. You got right. on shelf with a, with a GNC now. And then it kind of like moved in a different direction, but it's kind of coming back. And Amazon has, has done this in a totally different way because they're really like asking the brand manufacturers, the brands to create all this stuff for them. You need to prove yourself on their platform. And then they'll have a trigger clause um, that basically will, Amazon could buy that brand and then it's one of their brands. And you're going to see that, I think, with all these new like marketplaces that are going to start to pop up. Like Target is opening up a marketplace here. It'll be kind of ramped up in 2020. Uh, Walmart is already kind of mm -hmm. going, but they're kind of opening up their doors to a lot more of those options. Uh, you're seeing even bodybuilding.com open up a marketplace, a, a niche marketplace. Yep. So you're going to see a lot more of this, I think, playbook that Amazon kind of using, trying to guard as much as you can. It's the same sense of why people will sell exclusively like um, to GNC only. And it's like they're, they're trying to limit um, just how these things are distributed, limit the messaging, limit whatever. And I think that you're going to see that with retailers in 2020. You're going to see a lot more of them try to use this like Amazon playbook and try to say we only want these exclusive things or you know, why carry them because now everything's – disseminated out there you can get it anywhere why why offer all the products that anybody else can offer yeah great point i mean i've had meetings with brands too that are always talking about exclusives with either vitamin shop gnc bodybuilding whoever it might be or even even like a brick and mortar store that happens to have a web application i mean they're asking for it too they want exclusivity on certain things um so that it's interesting because we are in a world that we've talked about that we thought you know when you did the article in 2019 one of the common trends that people said was like the directed consumer is going to be a trend in 2019 like all right we're going to have the d2c site sort of be our sole focus. Well, having your direct-to-consumer site when you're exclusive doesn't mean like GNC tells you you can't sell on your website. They can, but for the most part, like your agreement is we'll sell in GNC and our website. So GNC gets the exclusivity to whatever product that is, and then what the brand gets is A, they get a, you know, a guaranteed PO typically with GNC, but then they're also getting branded within GNC. Consumer goes online, searches it, then hopefully ultimately starts doing their transactions through the D2C site. So therefore, it's a win-win-win. Um, ultimately, GNC still wants people to come back into the stores, and they will. But uh, there's a lot of people, Josh, on that topic that hate this idea of exclusivity, consumers especially, because it makes it harder for them to get. Uh, but there are certain brands that will be like, stupid, I'll never do it. And I don't want to go off topic, but do you think the brands that say like it's a dumb strategy, it's stupid, they never do it, do they fully understand the strategy or are they just – are they saying it because they legit have a, a reason to hate it? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's for everybody because it definitely complicates – everything for you. Um, you know, and that's why you see most of the, like the biggest brands doing it because it's, it just doesn't really complicate their, um, supply chains and, and everything like that. They have the cash to be able to put some of that effort into a, an exclusive line. Um, it is kind of tough for smaller brands to do that. And what I'll say is like, if you're gonna, especially if you're a smaller brand and you are against the whole exclusivity, I would run the exclusivity through your direct-to-consumer site as a test. Mm. And then that proves a lot of like sales data proves that you can able to handle something in a more smaller test before you go out and take it to somebody else. Because for you just to go, and this is in like an international sense, like a lot of times when people sell internationally, they have to create an international skew because of the pre-workouts or whatever. They, 
so they, they usually get the first time they ever get acclimated to like this exclusivity is that they have to create an international one. And that usually is a really interesting test subject for them because a lot of times you're getting it bought right off the bat. So you don't have a lot of like the inventory um, exposure. So you, you get some like false confidence and you think, oh, well, then I'm going to go to GNC and I'm going to go to uh, whatever and do the same thing. But then there's so much more like inventory risks or whatever, or say you create something for Costco right. and you know, it doesn't sell and then they return it all. Now, what do you do with all that? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, um, it, it can be a positive or a negative. It's all around the variables within the specific company. But I, what I'll say is more times than not, the company, the brand, the, the people within the company, they probably don't fully understand all the different things that are pulling on uh, that decision. It's just a matter of, they look at it from probably more of like just a cash generation standpoint. Is it, how much am I outlaying? How much am I going to get? And is that a good decision? Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, for me, I guess I, I have another one here that, that's been a, a company like, I mean, I give them credit and I know they're not the first ones to do it, but a company like Myoblocks has been a company that does like these limited edition launches all the time, like 4,000 units and that's it. And it works really well for them. We've now seen companies as big as Redcon 1 do limited edition flavor launches of like Total War. They did a, a White Walker, which was a, a spin on Game of Thrones. They did one for America or for 4th of July in which they did like 1776. I think more brands are going to start doing this more in 2020 as well because you mentioned it earlier in terms of like the in your portfolio, sometimes it's a, your two products that sell. And if you can get an opportunity to do like a limited edition, I mean, uh, Ghost has done limited edition stuff with Christian Guzman, sells out in like 10 minutes. And this is, this is not a new practice by any means. I mean, if you walk down the cereal aisle at any grocery store, you have limited edition something. You know, like there's seasonal in and outs, uh, something around Thanksgiving, you get stuff. And, and uh, that, that's something that really has not been fully embraced within our industry yet. So I don't, I, I would like to say that. In my head, that would be a trend that I would step on more in 2020 is just like, what are your top performing products? How can you still amplify those sales? Well, here's an idea. Limited edition flavors or limited edition um, might be licensing deals like what, what Ghost has been doing. But take your, your main selling skills and do limited edition drops or a variation of that to generate a noise, but also to generate quick cash flow as well that you can then put back in the business and keep, uh, keep going it forward. Because I don't – I mean, I, I start seeing it more now, but there's still a lot of brands who are just – Doing what you said, just kind of creating new products that aren't associated with their top selling products or their top selling SKUs in, in the category or in the portfolio, when all it would take would be like just something unique and different and cool to get people talking and buying it. And there you go. Yeah, I mean, I think it has, you know, as more brands utilize it, it's kind of that diminishing returns, like in, in the sense of like the whole industry, because um, consumers can get used to it or they it might not be as powerful sure. as it used to be. So you're going to constantly have to like, one up those situations, like come up with some unique kind of different ideas and kind of transition into one of the points that I know like was brought up the most on uh, the article that we, we talked about a few to reference a few times that I wrote was around like convenience on the go type of products. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing now a lot of like that losing its, um, like, like losing its like excitement, mm -hmm. um, like, it used to be when somebody launched like a you know beverage or, or a protein bar, it was a big deal because it was like, wow, there's not a lot of those on the market. Right. Now there's so many on the market. So it's a matter of like, are the brands that are willing to put in the work to create something super unique, or like this convenience on the go 2.0 type of situation um, in the idea that like, okay, protein bars are kind of like stale, those are whatever, um, you know, energy drinks, stale, whatever. Um, so what can you do to like 
take that and elevate it to another level. Yeah. Like with the availability of manufacturing and partners and things that are now starting to get a lot lower, they're starting to be a lot more visible out in the market. Like it's not as hard to find these people anymore. There's going to create a lot of opportunities for people to create a bunch of different like confectionaries or cookies or candies or, or anything like that, that they can add a better for you or a functional type of angle with it. Mm -hmm. And I think if you, you, you saw like, um, and I don't know how this did with the launch or whatever, like my old employer, Muscle Farm, came out with an M&M, yeah. like a protein M&M. Like that is like a, where I think things are going to start going. Like people are going to start adding some very common denominator products, whatever, and then taking a performance or, or more of a sports spin to it. And like that's going to be what convenience becomes because it's no longer just going to be the basic things we're used to. Those are those are going to continue to sell. Those are big markets. People right. know how to utilize them, but they're going to they're going to be so competitive that for you to stand out, especially as more of a, a smaller upstart brand, you're going to have to think a little bit differently about what you think of convenience or on-the-go products to be. Yeah, you make a great point because I was going to mention that too in terms of the the RTD category. You know, people keep, say, keep saying energy drinks are kind of saturated is the term we always talk about here and whether or not you agree with that is one thing but like the area too that i want to bring up is like the, the ready to drink protein drinks i mean it, it's it's been dominated specifically by saddle sports muscle milk and i think premier pro have like the two that people grab most at c stores there's an opportunity there for brands and, and i reported it over a couple of weeks ago at, at fi about redcon one doing an mre light rtd something completely different it's it's, it's a, a category which is been around forever, but it's a different take on it. This is a, a not, you know, this is an animal-based protein or non-dairy-based protein that a lot of people are looking for. Um, but it's an area that a lot of brands haven't touched. And talking with brands, it's an area that many of them are looking into because everyone's like, we're do everyone's doing energy drinks, but no one's touching this. So I don't know if we'll, in 2020 if we'll see a couple actual RTD protein drinks being launched by some really big brands that people obviously at Redcon people know who that is. But there are other big brands that I've talked to that are very very important within this space that want to do the same thing. So it'll be interesting on that in terms of like the grab and go. That's not candy based, but it's still something that you know we talked about in an earlier episode about. How to eat healthy on the road. I mean, this is another opportunity to get in front of people to do something. And it could be a, kind of like a gateway drug into your brand, too. You know, you see a Redcon 1 MRE light at a 7 Eleven gas station. You try it, you love it. Now you're buying the rest of their brand. Another opportunity to kind of bring people into the fold in, in, in a channel that, you know, like in, in Redcon's instance, they're only there because of the MRE bar. They're not really, don't have much visibility, but people are in and out of C stores uh, quite often. So not being. Not being just like sports nutrition, hardcore bodybuilding focused, but how can you sort of resonate with the entire family in a in a channel that there are a lot of consumers within our space that, or there are a lot of consumers that are not in our space today that you could bring in. And I think that would be an interesting, to your point, like the candies, the M&Ms, if that's successful, if Muscle Farm can be successful with that, there's no reason a 7-Eleven should be putting it on their store shelves. Now you get somebody walking into the store realizing who and what Muscle Farm is for the first time, does a Google search, realizes that they have all these better for you options. And now they just got a new customer because they are just in a completely different channel than what we traditionally thought sports nutrition products should be in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's to your point about the protein one. I, I, it's, I definitely think, and I made an, I wrote an article about kind of this uh, Coke versus Pepsi thing because both of them have a lot of um, different brands within their portfolio that are competing against that space. But overall, it's still very much Premier Protein. It's very much uh, Muscle Milk, and then you have a lot of other ones for kind of fragmenting off of that. And for the C stores specifically, I mean, they're starting to take more chances with some of their products that they merchandise. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a perfect opportunity. Now it's going to be, ex it's even tougher than energy drinks because energy drinks at least have some margin in them. Yeah. Now proteins, it's a, it's a commodity. 
You're dealing with something that has uh, uh, not a lot of variables that you can manipulate, and, and it's very much based on taste. There's also not a lot of like like variants of function that you can really like you know change up all that much. Like an energy drink, there's you know tons of different kind of ways you can go. Even just like any kind of more functional beverage, you could take so many different angles with it. Where the protein, people are expecting, and the, and the people buying it, it's taste. And then it's very much like they want to have commonalities to something they're used to. It's not going to like they're going to go take a chance on something completely crazy right. like an energy drink. So, I mean, it's it's definitely one that I think a lot of people are going to jump into uh, because they see it as a blue ocean. But what I'll pump a lot of breaks and say it's it's definitely a mirage. Like mm -hmm. you're going to you're gonna see a lot of hurt if people oh, do go sure. all in on that. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you that straight up um, because I've done a lot of work in that area. So I could just tell people straight up that it's not the easiest way to do business. There's a lot of other opportunities out there to, to, to work in uh, if you're looking for an opportunity. Yeah. that's. I mean, I, and I guess I want to end on this, Josh, in terms of like food drug mass in 2020. Um, is, that a, is that something that more brands are looking to get into than your opinion? Because I mean, right now there are a handful of brands who do who are there who do a good job. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of brands who don't touch it or, or maybe even channel expansion is, is a better way to, to talk about this right because we didn't really talk about channel expansions per se it's you know there's a digital there there's your digital retailers there's your brick and mortar stores but channel expansion and, and obtaining these products in, in different channels that we do not currently consume them today is that a 2020 com conversation yeah i mean i think you're still seeing a, a little bit of an expansion in the square footage of like the you know healthy living, active nutrition, whatever those retailers call that section. But you're also, I think what's most important is the expansion of just traditional aisles. Like you go down a, a cereal aisle and now they're giving maybe 5% of it to like healthy cereals. Mm -hmm. You could get merchandise in that section. You don't need to be merchandised in active nutrition or right. whatever it is. So I think you're going to see just the grocery, uh, mass club, whatever those big massive channels, like they're going to you're going to see this like blending of categories start to get these more better for you, healthier for you in all of the different aisle uh, categories, uh, different sections of merchandising. So I think you're, if, if people are looking at this and only thinking, yeah, I need to get on the supplement shelves, I need to get on, you know, whatever at Walmart or something like that. There's only so much square footage that they're going to expand mm -hmm. on that section because um, there's areas of the of the store that make a lot more money per square foot, so they're gonna move. They're gonna try their best to like merchandise those sections based around consumer habits. So if you're looking to get into those categories, if you're a hardcore sports brand, it's hard for you to extend. We, mm -hmm. we talked about this earlier in the video. Like you, you can't take. Uh, you know, you can't be Redcon one and go create a kid's cereal. Like right. it's. I mean, may, maybe you could, but I just don't ever see a path If anybody that, could, Aaron the, could. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's like, I mean, maybe you could spin it in some way, but, right. um, you know, it's, it's maybe Aaron taking a, a new brand and bringing it to them in a way like that. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot of the expansion of the square footage. It's not going to be so much from those active nutrition sets. So if people are looking at innovation, kind of back to my point about looking at innovation, looking at convenience a little bit differently, then you have the availability of getting into these food drug mass uh, convenience sections because that is outside of like online that's where the growth is at mm -hmm. in, in the industry so you you're not getting it from specialty anymore uh, both from large or um, small uh, international is is kind of a tough game because of the competition at this point so the only space that you have outside of digital to really get growth is is food drug mass and that's a totally different beast and the brands that are currently doing well in those spaces are the big brands because they are able to uh, control the variables 
that you need to to perform really well there. And the brands that um, are starting to get into those, it's gonna it takes them a while to get ramped up. Even you were talking about Redcon One, talked about like Outright Bar, talked about like it takes a while to those get ramped up because. You can't go out like General Mills, like you guys used to do, and just blanket the whole country in one uh, go-to-market because right. you don't have the money to do that. You can't do it. You don't have the sales staff. You don't have the money. You don't have the inventory. You don't have anything to be able to handle that kind of scale. So it's going to take a little bit of time. I don't think we've ever we, – we're not to the point of like where it's going to be. I think people are going to naturally find little pockets. Sure. Um, but I would stress that the pockets that I kind of first talked about of different sections outside of like active nutrition – is probably a better idea if you can nail it. Yeah. Um, that's going to be where you're going to see a better opportunity. Perfect. Uh, on that note, guys, I mean, this is good, good educational con- uh, conversation for people within the industry, but also for consumers too as you start to think about where you're probably going to do your shopping in the future. So uh, go ahead again. Follow us on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Shaker Cup. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and help us out by leaving a review and and it helps out the algorithm so more people can discover what we're talking about. You guys can follow more of Josh at his social media pages as well, which he talks a lot more about this. And I'm sure you're going to come out with an article about 2020 trends at some point in the very near future, or maybe you know, it's already written and you're just waiting to hit publish. I have no idea. Uh, but appreciate you guys tuning in. Until next week, take care. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.